Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Hello, welcome to Headlam Group's interim results for the six months ended 30th of June 2022. Uh, I'm Chris Payne, I'm the group's chief executive. Uh, so just uh, the first slide actually is uh, 30 years of Hedlam. So we've just added the 30 years to that to, to note that uh, Hedlam is actually in its 30th anniversary. I'll come back to that point because it has um, some meaning in a, in a slide at the moment, but it's great to be able to present the results uh, in Hedlam's 30th year. So just the agenda, we've got a few things here just to cover a little bit about us, a summary of the financials for the first half of 2022, uh, and I'll give perhaps a bit more time to talking through the, an update on the strategy and how we're progressing on ESG. And then I'll close with a view on current trading and the outlook for the year. So about us, this is Headlam on a page. I mentioned earlier the 30th anniversary. Now, 66 businesses across the UK, many of those are regional floor covering businesses, and some of those have been around for over 100 years. So there's a real great sort of depth of heritage amongst the business. As I said, 30 years for Headlam as a group, but many of the businesses in the group have been around for much longer. That just sort of shows the age and depth of quality of the business that we've got around, around the UK in particular. Uh, we've got national scale and we've mentioned 21 distribution centres and hubs here. Without calling out all of the boxes on this page, I think what it does show is we've got strength in depth, we've got breadth of service and we've got that real kind of quality uh, organisation uh, behind us. I think what it does show is that there's a number of opportunities for growth. Uh, many of those are called out uh, on the later slides as well. So just turning to the financials, there's a, a few points here to, to mention. I think one thing it's probably worth saying straight out is that it's quite a tough economic uh, market at the moment and we've got some cost pressures, we've got demand pressures. Um, so it is pleasing to be able to report uh, some first half results, which albeit slightly behind uh, in terms of revenue, we are actually up slightly year on year uh, in terms of profitability. Many of these points I'll come back to in slides uh, very shortly, uh, but just in high level, what we have seen is a slight shift towards the European business who performs slightly better than the UK, a slight shift towards the commercial part of the market away from residential, which I'll come back to. And we've seen a sort of temporary uplift in the gross margin that we've seen coming through as a result of the inflation that we've seen on our supply of goods. And that's helped us mitigate some of the cost pressures we've seen further down the income statement in terms of costs. And you'll see in a slide later on that the cost impact has been quite significant, but we've largely been able to mitigate that so far. It's worth saying just that towards the end of this slide, we do refer to the sort of, again, strength of the business. We've got some undrawn banking facilities, so we remain in net funds. And we're also going to announce uh, a proposed ordinary dividend at the half year, which reflects the progressive nature and the year-on-year -year improvement of our profitability. So this is a slide that we put up. It's our UK daily sales chart, which is uh, presented on a like-for-like -like basis. This is, a, a say, something that we produce every year. Um, and, and the reason we do that is to show consistency. Um, and the last couple of years, of course, I've been mentioning how inconsistent the, the trading performance has been, uh, as we saw the uh, impact of COVID in 2020. And of course, 2021 also affected uh, in Q1, where we saw uh, a shift of demand from Q1 to Q2. 
Um, what we've seen in 2022 is a relatively flat performance, and it's followed a sort of similar pattern to what we've seen in previous years, but it has remained a slightly more flat profile. Um, and that's to reflect a couple of things, really. One is the um, residential weakness that we've seen, and I'll come back to. And secondly, is to um, see an offset and an imp improvement in the performance of the commercial side of the business. All that's done, really, is it had a sort of flattening performance profile uh, over the course uh, of the first half. So just turning to the income statement, many of these uh, lines I'll actually detail out a little bit more detail on oncoming slides. So revenue and the profit bridge that we talked to on uh, gross profit, um, operating profit, I'll come back to in slides. But what it does show is that there is a relatively consistent performance on revenue, a slight improvement in margin and a slight improvement in profit despite the cost headwinds. I also pull out non-underlying items on here, which I'll come back to with a slide very shortly. So this slide calls out our revenue bridge and it bridges the revenue that we had in the first half from 2021 to the revenue we had in the first half of 2022. Uh, and the two key things it does pull out is the UK revenue and the continental Europe revenue and the difference between like for like and other changes. So if I just cover the UK first, now this is where we've seen uh, difficult markets um, and we've seen some like for like uh, reductions in volume. Now, unfortunately, also, we've had a reduction in uh, working days, which hasn't helped. Um, so that leaves our UK revenue slightly lower than we've seen uh, in the prior year. Um, but the offset of that is continental Europe, as I mentioned earlier. So we've seen a slight swing towards continental Europe. Now, in continental Europe, we've seen like for like positivity, uh, and that's uh, largely driven by the French uh, business, which is still delivering on its uh, change program that it that it was going through the last couple of years, and that really has uh, delivered some great returns uh, in recent times. Uh, and secondly, the Dutch market has been slightly stronger than the UK market, uh, and, and the Dutch market has continued to perform well uh, locally. Uh, so when you add those two together, it does mean that the revenue is largely flat, albeit slightly lower, uh, but we've seen this shift uh, from the UK uh, towards Europe. Uh, and what's that done to profit? So uh, over the page, we can talk to the, the impact on profit. Um, and this slide in particular pulls out the impact that we've seen of uh, inflation and the price inflation that we've seen coming through on our cost of goods. So I mentioned earlier the residential softness in demand and that being offset by inflation. And you can see that being played out on this slide. So this bridges the operating profit from 21 to 22. And we can see that gross margin effect of reduction in gross profit from the reduction in volume being just offset and slightly more than offset by the price inflation we've seen. Non-underlying items is a pulled out item, again, dominated this year for the first time by the insurance proceeds we have received in the first half following the fire at our Kidderminster distribution centre at the back end of last year. So that fire, we took a relatively large write-off uh, to write down of the equipment in the building last year, and we're starting to see that come through in cash now. As usual, that will take a little bit of time to come through. So most of the proceeds we've received so far relate to the loss of stock and equipment, and we expect a bit more to come. Uh, just turning to cash flows, um, quite a lot of movements here, but there's, there's two real features, two main features that stand out on, on the cash flow statement. One is around the investment in inventory, and we talked about sort of building stock to protect against the product supply issues and the rising inflation that we anticipated. So we had a stock build towards the end of last year, and we've continued to build stock into this. And that's also been resulted in a pay down of the creditor payments that we had at the end of last year. So there was a build up of payables at the end of last year, which we've paid down this year. So that's resulted in a net working capital outflow. The second part of the cash flow you can see is the return to shareholders. So there were three 
payments made to shareholders in the first half. One was the final dividend from 2021, one was a special dividend from 21, and we've gone through our process of the share buyback that's continued throughout the first half of 22. So those three elements together make up the 25.8 million that you can see uh, on the cash flow statement. So balance sheet, I mentioned the sort of strength uh, in depth of our business. Uh, it's a key feature of the business and that remains the case. Um, so we do have a strong underpin on the balance sheet through owning our freeholds. Typically all of the distribution centers are owned by the business and that does create a, a freehold property portfolio worth uh, in excess of 100 million pounds and that underpins uh, the fixed assets parts of the balance sheet. We also have this depth of inventory that I mentioned and we've been building that inventory to protect against supply issues that we've seen in the last 12 months and also in anticipation of the price increases coming through. Of course, the other aspect of that is that there has been inflation in that stock. So that stock number that's now reflected in our balance sheet is at the higher price that we've paid in recent months. There are undrawn banking facilities. I mentioned the fact that we remain in net funds uh, and I've got a slide uh, in a moment where I do talk about what the net funds have done uh, during the course of the first half. This is a slide that I do like to produce because it shows what the trading looks like and the impact on cash throughout the period. We don't just produce a half year and a full year number. And what you can see here is it's a fairly consistent pattern that you see year on year. But for the first time, what I've done is added a sort of dotted line, if you like, to the performance for 2022, which shows what the impact has been of this return to shareholders that we announced at the end of last year. So that's had an impact of clearly reducing net funds. But without that additional return, the net funds position would have been slightly higher. So we expect that pattern to continue uh, for the rest of the year. So just turning to strategy and an update on our ESG actions. So strategy first. This is a slide that I've shared before. The main feature of this slide really is to break out our target audience. So bottom half of the slide shows the work that we did to analyze the marketplace. And we've broken that marketplace down into seven key customer groups. On the left-hand side of the slide are the traditional retailers that our regional businesses with all that great heritage and service proposition would have typically served and still do. And on the right-hand side of the slide are the customer groups that we're now targeting to expand into. And this is where we've got low market share. So this slide, again, has been the feature of much of the conversation within the business. Uh, and I've talked uh, to how we're going to use this to grow our business in the future. So a really key slide for us uh, to focus our growth activity on. So again, this is a slide which shows the sort of driving force of our strategy at the moment. We've got trade counters, multiple retailers, the investment that we're making in the digital and e-commerce side of our business to enable the growth into these new spaces, and then what we're doing with our own product brands. So real progress on these features, but the two on the left are the ones we've spent most time talking about in the past, and we've got some slides that call out the developments that we've seen in the first half of the year. So trade counters, we've got some pictures there of four trade counters that have been newly refurbished. Just as a reminder, this is taking our network of 50 odd trade counters and we're looking to nearly double that to 90 uh, over the course of the coming years. But the 50 that we have will be completely refurbished uh, and invested in so that they have a common look and feel uh, akin to the pictures that you see uh, on the right hand side of this slide. So relatively modest level of capital uh, required for each of the developments. Um, and we've been quite ambitious at doing this over a relatively short period of time. So we're looking to roll these sites out completely uh, in the next couple of years. And what we've seen is in particular the performance of the new sites 
have really outperformed the sites that were uninvested and indeed outperformed the rest of the business. So the revenue, for example, is up year on year on those sites that we've invested in, which clearly is contrasting with the results that I talked about for the group for the first half as a whole. So we are on track to deliver those sites that we talked about. So we'll have 30 invested sites this year that will rise to 60 the following year and then 90 after that. So we've got a really strong pipeline. We've got a team looking at these sites, a team that have developed a blueprint. Uh, and as you can see, we're rolling those out uh, across the country as we speak. We've appointed a new MD of Trade Counters and, and the purpose of that was to get him in early to really add some focus and drive and turn this into a commercial organisation that's going to give us the £200 million worth of revenue that we've identified uh, in the course of the coming years. Multiple retailers, I talked about this in depth at the year end, um, and I'm pleased to say that we've actually made some great progress in this space. So we've identified a number of new customers, we've made propositions to those businesses, and we've secured new customers in the period. That's fantastic news and we've pulled out a handful of names here, Oak Furniture Land I talked about at the year end, but it's great to be able to announce that we've now got a nationwide contract in place with Homebase as well, delivering a number of products in there. And I've got a little bit more detail on that in the slide in a moment. But this demonstrates that we are implementing our strategy that we've laid out and we are going after that part of the market where we've got relatively low share. So just calling out Homebase and one of the top 10 UK house builders that we've delivered a contract for this year. So Homebase, two-year contract, started this year. Now that's a nationwide contract delivering a relatively modest number of, of product SKUs. But the good news there is that we're able to scale that up. We're able to leverage our national network and offer our expertise to a UK leading retailer. Uh, and then the house builder, again, we mentioned that this was a target audience for us. Great to be able to report that we have secured a contract with one of the top 10 house builders in the UK. Early days, we've only just recently signed that contract and we've got our first sites and our first plots uh, to be able to put product into in Q3. So we should be able to see some revenue coming through in the second half. Again, very exciting, gives us an opportunity to prove uh, this is a new customer group, uh, give us the opportunity to, to target further growth uh, in the coming years. I mentioned around the investment in the enabling of uh, sort of digital and e-commerce uh, underpinned to some of these customers. So uh, we talked in the past about developing our new app, uh, which is now available uh, for download on, on the App Store and Google Play, which is great news. Um, but we have also uh, invested in being able to sort of plug into some of these new customers so that they're now able to uh, load their orders electronically. They don't have to use the telephone. Um, of course, much of our um, orders still come in a more traditional way because we've still got the vast number of our customers uh, are in that traditional retail space um, but we've increased the percentage of our sales uh, being received um, uh, via an electronic channel to 26% of our sales we had a target of 30 uh, this year so we're getting there uh, up from 11% in 19 so we are seeing that start to, to come through um, the app as I said is now up and running we're seeing sales uh, just under four million pounds coming through that that channel but again that's just one feature uh, of the investment that we're making in our in our sort of digital footprint if you like um, I mentioned products and brands, and this is something that we've probably not talked a huge amount about in the past, but it's something that is important to make us aware in the consumers' minds and in, in the presence of, of, of the retailers. So we've got a number of product brands that span quite a range of price points. Again, that's important in today's marketplace, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. But our price points would be from less than £10 a metre right up to over £150 a metre, depending on what the product is, what the brand is, and what the quality is. So we're able to serve the entire sort of spectrum 
spectrum of the marketplace, really. We've got some brands that we're investing in that consumers might be aware of, and we've got some brands that we're investing in digitally, so we're improving the websites, um, uh, launching sort of media campaigns, making it more aware uh, in the marketplace. So that's something that we've seen deliver a good impact in the market on. And every room is a great product that we've now put into the marketplace, uh, good quality product and an affordable price. Consumer feedback and customer feedback has been really positive. That's now available across the country. Importantly, we are able to put out sort of free stands to our retailers who can really embrace this. We're well stocked, ready for sales in this space. So this was a real targeted product to recognize the need for us to address that sort of a more affordable end of the market. So good product, well received and is now out for sale. Uh, so turning to an update on our ESG strategy and, and the progress we've been making this year, and I'll, I'll also cover some of the appointments at the board. Um, so E, S and G, again, I'll, I'll remind everyone those are three different things. So uh, turning to the environmental side, um, we have been working on our actions and plans towards achieving net zero by 2035. We've been rolling out things like installing additional solar panels on the roofs of our DCs. We've been um, ordering and, and uh, developing uh, low emission vehicles and we've, we're now operating our first electric van in Scotland, for example. Um, on the S, we've been working very hard to develop a, a community-wide scheme, if you like, to support the community that we're in, it's called My Headland Community. And that looks at developing charitable support, volunteering days at food banks and the like, uh, just to really reflect the fact that we are a regional business and we operate in our local communities. We've just addressed some of the pay and benefits for, for people across the business, whether it's just enhanced pension benefits. We've moved people to the national living wage, for example. And also, uh, from a recognition perspective, we have um, launched a new scheme where we're really celebrating success of people who have gone uh, above and beyond, whether it's performance, behaving, just uh, the way that we just wish people to, to behave and doing that extra, going the extra mile uh, and recognising that. We've also launched a, um, a long service scheme for people who've been in the business and for a long time and shown that sort of loyalty to Headlam and, and that's something new for this year as well. Uh, on the G, um, we've now got our ESG committee that's established, its executive committee, but also attended um, by a non-executive director. So real, real progress uh, on the ESG front. Uh, turning to the board, uh, we've appointed Karen Hubbard, um, who started 1st of September. Uh, she joins us with 25 years plus experience in lots of different businesses and retail, and in particular in sort of e-commerce and digital. I'm sure she'll be a great support to me and the executive team as we develop that part of our strategy. On the CFO, um, Patrick Butcher remains our interim CFO as we continue the search for, uh, for a permanent uh, CFO. And again, uh, progress is going well there. So hopefully we'll be able to update uh, a, little bit, uh, a little bit further on that soon. So turning to current trading and the outlook, I think the, the summary of this is really more of the same. I think the economic outlook is quite difficult to predict and quite gloomy, I think. You know, you've got these cost pressures, residential demand remains a bit challenging. However, we do see this sort of continued strength in the commercial sector. We've seen that continuing into July and August, which is offsetting the weakness that continues on the residential sector. So much of the same, a very similar sort of trading performance that we've seen in the first half. And I think that therefore the strategy that we're pursuing to, to stretch into uh, new markets and develop this sort of footprint of trade counters uh, remains on track and remains the right thing to do. So difficult market, but I think all the things that we're doing are the right things and, and puts us in really good stead for, for when the markets change uh, and those headwinds may, maybe become following winds.
So just in summary then, and just, just, just to close out, I think we've got this really solid, good quality business. You know, we're market leading. We've got this sort of strength, depth of balance sheet and coverage across the UK in particular. We are investing uh, in the network. We are investing in new strategies to go after new customers. We've added some capability into the team. Uh, we've got people now heading up the trade counter business. We've made investments in the e-commerce uh, and digital footprint, including a new CIO. And I just think it shows that we are well positioned to take advantage of the market when it improves. Uh, and we're doing the right things to implement that strategy as we speak. So that brings us to the end of the presentation. Uh, and uh, I'll move to questions. And the first question we've got, actually, there are two related questions. How big was the profit from price increases of inventory? And related question, why have you increased inventory so much, especially if demand is soft? Good afternoon, everybody. Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, we've got a couple of slides that talk to that. So I think the gross margin uplift that we've talked to of 33.7 is 100 basis points higher than it was last year. I think that's probably a good reflection of the temporary uplift and the stock profit that we may have seen through uh, building inventory. So that on 300 million of turnover, that 100 basis points is just over 3 million pounds. I, I think it is important for us um, going just rolling back, you may see it a little while ago now, but there was a lot of concern around security of supply. Um, and, and that remains the case in some areas, particularly products arriving from Asia. Uh, and also there's still some challenges getting products into some of the UK ports, which you may have seen on the news. But um, I think we felt it was important to make sure we've got continuity of supply. Uh, we have the space, we have the ability to buffer that particular risk. Uh, and indeed, against a, a sort of rising price inflation of cost of goods, it seems to me a good idea that we protect ourselves and hence the stock profit without being able to build stock. We wouldn't have had that. So um, I think that's something that is good to have. Um, we've done what we needed to do. Uh, yes, of course, we've, we've got a fair bit of stock in our, in our balance sheet now and, and demand is a bit softer. But I, I think given we had the space and had these concerns on security and supply, it was the right thing to do. Thank you very much. And to what extent has likewise impacted the figures? Um, well, not, not, not much. I think the, the likewise competitor, um, the businesses that they've acquired in recent times were competitors before their acquisition. Um, and they will remain a competitor for us, uh, particularly in the traditional markets that we've been in for, for, for many years. So you know, I think that's a welcome challenge in the marketplace. Um, as we've reported, we, we've probably taken a bit of share uh, over the first half, which, which is good news. But um, yeah, I think that's that's something likewise we're around. Um, we'll be here for a while and, and we've just got to rise to the challenge and be competitive. Thank you. And the launch of Every Room was described by the press as offering trade prices fixed till September. Will this continue after the end of September? Yeah, I, I think it's something that we can offer. I mean, as, as we said, you know, we've got some good stock. We're able to get those orders for stock placed early. And I think we'll, we'll offer as much price protection to the marketplace as we can, particularly when it's a difficult market. Um, I think it will be helpful for retailers and consumers if we can manage that and, and continue to hold those prices longer. So, certainly, that's the intention. Thank you. And regarding house builders, can you give us an indication of the size of the opportunity? How much per annum million pounds worth and uh, could that mean? And what's the pipeline on other top house builders? Yeah, we, we've done a little bit of research into the size of the marketplace. Um, now, uh, without calling out any specific individual house builders, on average, the top 10 house builders will, will do around about uh, just under 20,000 plots a year each. 
um, and each each house will generate just over a thousand pounds worth of flooring at trade prices. So twenty million pounds a year is a typical sort of flooring spent for these guys. So uh, that's a that's the size of the prize, the size of the opportunity. Now clearly. Signing up a national account with somebody doesn't mean that you get all of their flooring sales. There will be some that, that you won't be able to serve or they'll choose to go elsewhere. So we don't anticipate to secure all of the sales of an individual house builder, but we should get a decent proportion. If, if, if it's half or more, that would be great. So that's the size of the prize. I think it's important that we're able to demonstrate that we can deliver great service. Um, and as we have in other spaces, if you can deliver great service, then cover reference requirement, then we can grow from there. So you know, we start with one. It would be great to add a couple more, uh, perhaps in, in the coming coming months and maybe next year. Thank you very much. And two questions on the share buyback. One asking, why aren't you being more aggressive? And the other saying, who are the beneficiaries of the share buyback program, as it doesn't appear to be the existing shareholders? Wouldn't a special dividend re reward the loyalty of existing shareholders better, rather than conferring this benefit on speculators? So two questions there. Yeah, yeah, no, no problem. Um, I, I just addressing that um, the second part. I think the uh, individual shareholders have got different views on whether buybacks or special suit their particular circumstances. And uh, as as we announced at the end of March, we were keen to ensure that we had a good coverage um, over uh, the various options. So we ended up doing a bit of both and sort of playing a bit of a middle 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 furrow there of providing a good deal of special dividend, which we obviously paid out in, in May in the first half, uh, and that satisfied the, the, the shareholder group that was looking for a special dividend. Um, and there are other, other shareholders who prefer the accretive nature of, uh, of, a, of a buyback program that um, with a, the never decreasing number of shares means that the performance of the, of the business is therefore um, uh, confers a higher value and a higher earnings per share for, the, for those remaining. So, so some of the shareholders prefer that, particularly in a market where perhaps we're trading at a, at a low point in, in share prices. And, and as, as we know, you know, the share prices have been quite challenged in the markets for recent time. So we're trading on a bit of a low multiple. So hence the, the board's view that perhaps doing a bit of both for a buyback and a, a special would be the right thing to do. And is there any reason you're not being more aggressive on the buyback? Uh, yeah, we, we were keen to ensure that we were following sort of safe harbour rules of um, limiting the numbers of shares that we would buy in the marketplace to 25% of the uh, of the trades of the preceding day. So uh, we followed those uh, market abuse uh, guidelines and the safe harbour regulations. So those are, those are conveyed in, in, in that arrangement. So we issued those to the brokers to trade on our behalf. So we're standing off being off length and allowing that to, to, to go through on a, on a market basis. Thank you. And does the company anticipate making acquisitions going forward, given that the current economic climate may provide opportunities and Headlam's dominant market position and balance sheet strength? Um, I think it's something we remain open-minded to, of course, now with whether opportunities present themselves is another matter. Um, uh, and I think the finding opportunities that look a bit like we already have a, a good share probably is less interesting, but maybe opportunities which give us the opportunity to try something different or address areas of the market where we're perhaps a little bit more underweight or underrepresented, uh, that would be the areas I think which would make more sense to us. So it's something we remain open to. Um, and in, if there are opportunities available, certainly we will we'll look to secure those. 
Thank you. And is there any intention to appoint floor covering industry experts to the board who have more relevant knowledge of the specific sector? Um, I, I think my, my view on the board is that, you know, the, the, the reason the guys are there on the board is there's an oversight for us uh, and the executive team and also to provide some support and guidance and thinking about how we apply strategy and go forward. Um, there's, a, there, there's a lot of industry knowledge within the executive team um, and in the wider leadership team. So I, I think it's that's already covered. Um, if you think about the strategy of what we're trying to achieve, we're trying to, um, I suppose, break into new market territories the mind is slightly different skill set, slightly different experience set. So um, it's not surprising that much of the board's focus and, um, and expertise is in areas perhaps that um, the incumbents within the executive team or the leadership team haven't got so much experience of. So I think it's great to have that balance uh, of skill set around the table. Thank you very much. And um, can you quantify the significance of the end of the fixed price energy contract in October? Well, I don't know exactly how that's going to pan out, but um, you might imagine and you would have seen that the wholesale gas price, for example, is, has gone up fivefold. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, a, a, we're not, a, not a big energy user, but we've got a number of warehouses and sites around the group um, where we do have, you know, on a normal year, perhaps around a million pounds worth of spend or so on heat power. So it's a multiple of, of that that we're looking at. Now, time will tell how that actually pans out and what um, we end up with in the marketplace because it will be decided at the time. Um, but it is quite a meaningful step forward. Hence, the, I noticed the analysts have adjusted their models accordingly. So, yeah, it is quite, quite a meaningful uh, cost headwind that, that places us. Thank you. And the share price has fallen by nearly 50% over the last 12 months. What does the board think has happened and what's been done to address it? Yeah, as I, as I mentioned just now, funny enough, I think the equity markets are a bit challenged, particularly businesses that perhaps are, are a bit more consumer facing. I think, you know, from our perspective, all we can do is, is look at our strategy, implement our strategy. Uh, demonstrate that we're making progress on, on our strategy uh, and let the performance of the business uh, speak for itself. And I, you know, I think that's all we can do as a management team. Um, you know, the market will place whatever value it does on that. So I think we're doing the right things. These results will hopefully show that we're able to compete and combat some of the market challenges we're seeing. Um, and as I said, you know, we've laid out our strategy, we're demonstrating delivery against it. And really, that's all I think we can, we can do uh, as a management team. Thank you. And should the market weakness deepen, what operational actions, i.e. beyond the strategic initiatives, can the company take? Yeah, I, I think the, you know, the market will do whatever the market does. You know, short-term actions to drive demand is quite difficult to achieve, in my view. Um, I think we the strategy that we've deployed of going into spaces where there, there is no head and footprint, if you like, white spaces, is the right thing to do in the sense that uh, it's all largely organic growth. So I think the deepening of difficulty in the, in the kind of core markets, if you like, is very difficult to offset in the short term. Um, as you've seen from our margin tracking and the, and the gross margin that we've reported in recent years, really sort of dropping prices to secure um, volume doesn't really appeal, if I'm honest. So I think it's just a case of pulling out nerve, playing the strategy out and being uh, mindful of how we address costs in the marketplace and uh, I think we've done that reasonably well until now. 
thank you. And what's your experience of bad debts in this weak economic environment? Yeah, it's something that the business hasn't typically suffered from a great deal in the past. Now, we've taken a, a, a cautious position on debts in the sense that we do carry uh, a reasonably uh, healthy level of provision uh, to carry forward. So I think it's something that we keep watchful on. The, the, the fragmented and small nature of much of our client base does give us a degree of protection. So no individual customer is very large, or if they are, are a larger corporate type customer, they tend to be a good quality balance sheet covenant. Um, now, it's something that we definitely need to be mindful of as we stretch our wings into new, new markets and new territories to assess the credit exposure that might bring. However, up until now, our credit failure scores and level of, of cost that we've seen in bad debts have been relatively modest. And what's the business planning to do to generate its own energy? So solar on distribution centre roofs, for example, and good, a good use of retained funds? Yes, we've actually got two sites that have got solar panels on the roofs already. Uh, we've commissioned and had some um, site surveys done on some of our distribution centres, which have, not surprisingly, shown a good, strong opportunity for returns and for important energy generation. So we're actually going through a process at the moment of looking at uh, making applications for um, uh, solar panels and output generation for all of our distribution centres. So that's something that we are active on right now. Uh, we'll look to make those uh, uh, commence the activity on the installation this year. It might likely to take quite a while. Uh, there's, there's a reasonable long lead time to get these things up installed. So um, yeah, we started the ball rolling. We imagine that, that some of that will be delivered this year and it will certainly go into next year. Thank you. And how quickly in years does your capital transport fleet turn over in? When do you expect to have a largely electric fleet? Yeah, that, that is a very good question. And one of the challenges or a, a, a path to net zero is to look at how you can move all of your fleet, whether it's company cars, whether it's like blue uh, vehicles or heavy converters to a, a zero emission basis. Um, our vehicles are on somewhere between five and seven year cycle, depending on the replacement program. Um, and therefore, we are mindful of needing to swap those out at some point. We've got some electric vehicles in the fleet, whether it's company cars, we've got some uh, light good vehicles that are already electric. The technology for low emissions or zero emissions HGV isn't there quite, quite there for us yet. Um, it's something that we remain mindful of and, and conscious of. Uh, and uh, we will work with our vehicle suppliers to, to ensure that that's in place in time. I think there are lots of businesses like that that are all looking at how we can ensure we're, we're, we're able to participate in, whether it's an electric HGV or whether it's a hydrogen-powered vehicle, then we remain open. But um, say it's a five to seven year replacement cycle for our, for our HGVs. Thank you very much. And what currently, as CEO, keeps you awake at night? Um, I don't. I don't have trouble sleeping, to, which is reassuring. I think it's you know it's, it's the market's difficult, and I, and I think all we can do as, as leaders of a business is um, be present, be visible to our people in the business. You know, they're looking for leadership guidance. They want to know we've got their interests at heart, um, uh, and we're taking steps as a leadership team to to address the strategy and, and keep keep the business ticking over so yeah I, I, I don't have trouble sleeping and I'm, 
you know, energetic. I'm in the business. And I, I think the strategy to do it, and I think that, that, that is what we can do. Thank you. And at the moment, this is the final question. How much is the volume of products sold down, i.e. how much of revenue is price increases offsetting volume decreases? So on slide 10, what we do is we lay out what the approximate impact is of um, the effect of volume decrease and the effect of, of price increase. And they're fairly similar sorts of numbers. So uh, the impact of the swing of, of volume is being offset with, with prices is fairly level. So that should, should answer that question, I think. Tremendous. Thank you very much indeed. And that's the end of questions. Do you have any closing remarks? Oh, uh, as I said in the, in the summary, a great set of, pleasing to sort of release a great set of results in, in the club climate that we see. Um, strategies to do very well. Um, and we've reduced got these cost headwinds and, and demand headwinds to face into. But as I said, I think we're doing all that we can. Um, so it's great to be able to report these, these results and, and also a, a sort of positive outlook, if you like, for the rest of the year. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.